Because one of the things that I absolutely love about a, a baptism service is we get to hear amazing stories of how Jesus has impacted people's lives. And it's a great event. So if you haven't been, I'd encourage you to come along. And that's what I want to talk about today. What is your story so far? We've all got great stories. We're going to hear great stories tonight. But what is your story? What is your story so far? And what do you want your story to look like? Do you want your story to be one that is full of hope? Or do you want your story where hope was less? Do you want a hopeful story? Or do you want to live a hopeless story? I really believe that we do have a choice in all of this. And pretty soon we're going to look at one of my favorite characters in the Bible just to help us see that it's never too late. It's never too late. We always have a choice in this. Now the thing is, we all love a good story, don't we? We all love a good story. And a few weeks ago, one of my uh, favorite films came on the TV. And every time it comes on, I think, oh, I really want to watch that again. Now, I wish I could stand here and say that it was one of these heavyweight films like The Shawshank Redemption or Schindler's List or Passion of Christ or one of those sort of things. But I know there's no shame here, so I'm happy to admit <laughs> that my, one of my favorite films is Toy Story. <coughs> I absolutely love Toy Story. Whenever it comes on, I just think, oh, I'd really like to watch this. I remember it came out in 1995. Can you... Can you believe it? And I remember taking my boys, who were all small at the time, um, ages three to seven, to the cinema to see it, and thinking, how on earth am I going to get them to sit, through, sit still through this whole film? But we were completely mesmerized by it. When it came on, it was just incredible. We'd never seen anything like it. The animation was just unbelievable. But the thing that was so amazing was the story. The story was incredible. Because it's got everything. Toy Story has everything. Struggles of rivalry. It's got injustices made right. It's got teamwork winning through. Adventure, humor. There's even a little bit of romance in there with Woody and Little Bo Peep. <laughs> you know, it does have everything. <clears throat> and I actually think when I watch that film, the world is a slightly better place at the end of it. But as I've said, we all love a good story, don't we? But what makes a good story? I think if I got you to, to call out one of your favorite films or, or, or perhaps a book, you would have one spring to your mind pretty quickly, I'm sure. And uh, a few weeks ago, we were just chatting about this. John Bodley found this great little clip of, uh, of a guy with a fantastic name called Kurt Vonnegut. Now, that is a great name. And uh, he's obviously speaking at this um, storytellers convention and just explaining what goes into making a good story and you might not it might not be as complicated as you think so I thought the best thing to do is just watch Kurt explain this to this convention roll VT has created a body of work of startling eccentricity and universal appeal his singular view of the world applies not just to his stories and characters but to some of his theories as well well, there's no reason why the simple shapes of stories can't be fed into computers. They are beautiful shapes. <coughs> this is the GI axis, good fortune, ill fortune. 
sickness and poverty down here, wealth and, and boisterous good health up there. Here's the very middle. Now, this is the BE axis. B stands for beginning. <laughs> e stands for electricity. <laughs> now, this is an exercise in relativity, really, is the shape of the curves are what matters and not their origins. So we'll start a little above average, is why, why get a depressing person? We'll start... <coughs> the whole thing, we call this story man in hole, but it needn't be about a man, and it needn't be about somebody getting into a hole. But it's just a good way to remember it. Somebody gets into trouble, gets out of it again. People love that story. <laughs> they never get sick of it. All right, not copyrighted. Another story, also a beautiful curve and easily fed into a computer called Boy Gets Girl, but it needn't be that. Just a way to remember it. Start on an average day, average person not expecting anything to happen a day like any other. Find something wonderful, just loves it. Got it back again. <laughs> People like that. Now, these are beautiful curves, and this gets a little complicated. Is computers can now play chess, so I don't know why they can't digest this very difficult curve I'm going to draw for you now. And it so happens that this is the most popular story in our civilization, Western civilization. As we love to hear this story, every time it's retold, Somebody makes another million dollars. You're welcome to do it. Now, surprisingly enough, I've said it's depressing. You know, people don't like stories below, about below average days and people. But we're going to start way down here. Worse than that, who is so low? It's a little girl. What's happened? Her mother has died. Her father has remarried. At vile-tempered, ugly woman with, with two nasty daughters, big daughters. You've heard it. She's... Anyway, there's a party at the palace that night. She can't go. She has to help everybody else get ready. She has to stay home. Now, does she sink lower? No. She's a staunch little girl, and she has had the maximum whack from fate, which is the loss of her mother. She, she can't go any lower than that. Okay, so the fairy godmother comes. Gives her shoes, gives her stocking, gives her <laughs> mascara. <laughs> gives her a means of transportation. Goes to the party. Dances with the prince, has a swell time. Boring, 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 boring. Now, there's a slight inclination to that line as I've drawn it because it takes perhaps 20 seconds, 30 seconds for a grandfather clock to strike 12. Does she wind up at the same level? Of course not. She will remember that dance for the rest of her life. Now, she poops along on this level till the prince comes to shoe fits. She achieves off-scale happiness. <laughs> Thank you.
I love, I love that. Um, it's, it's almost like, the reason I showed that is because it's like we've been hardwired, or I'd like to think God created to resonate stories of hope, stories where hope actually wins through. And if you think of the Bible, there's some amazing real life stories, isn't there, where this happens, you know, where hope wins through. Think of Moses leading the Israelites from captivity into freedom, despair into hope. Think of Joseph being sold into slavery. It felt, everything felt hopeless, and it ended up being hopeful. Or one of my favorites is the story of Esther. Now, that would make a great film. And um, injustice is made right, promises and hope being restored. And take the powerful truth of Jesus. When he hung on that cross, everything seemed lost. Hope seemed lost. And yet he rose again to give us salvation and hope. I think it's no wonder that we are created to reach for hope. And I believe deep down in all of us, there is this desire to want to be hope-filled. Now the truth is, our own lives are a great story to tell. We live in our, our lives apart written, the story so far, and it includes everything. It includes our backgrounds and our upbringings and the social circles that we hang in, hang out in, our friends and all of that. And for many of us here, it will include our encounter with Jesus. And the great thing is, as followers of Jesus, it's like we've been given a a sneaky preview of the, the end, the last chapter of the book. When we decided to follow Jesus, we know how our story ends. It actually says in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, he will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old things will pass away and God will make everything new. It's like the, sat -nav, the uh, postcode is being kind of typed into the sat-nav, and we are all kind of on that journey to that one destination, that same destination, but we're all taking different paths to that one place. Eternity with God the Father. And it reminded me, a few weeks ago, um, I had to go to Birmingham, and so um, I took Helen's car, my Helen's car, because she's got this fancy sat-nav thing. I don't have one in mine, but she's got this fancy sat-nav. And I typed in the postcode, and I set off to Birmingham. And I realized that as I was driving there that I actually know how to get to Birmingham. I didn't really need to type in the coordinates, because I know, I know how to get there. I've been to Birmingham many times. But then, when I got into Birmingham to find the destination, my, my eyes became glued on this little screen that was showing me the way. It made me realize, isn't that sometimes a bit like our journey with God? There are times when we just feel really close to God. It's like close, God is sitting in the little passenger seat next to us. Everything is good. You know, we are just cruising along down the M1, obviously not breaking the speed limit, you understand, but cruising along down the M1, everything seems good. There's no roadworks to navigate around. Everything seems good. Life is good. God is good. But there will be difficult times for us. There will be hard times. There'll be, there'll be times when we do have to navigate around roadworks, and there'll be times when we do find ourselves in unfamiliar places. And it's those sort of key points, really, what I want to try and focus on today, because it's in the difficult moments when we do have a choice. 
It's in those difficult times in our lives when we really do have a choice. Are we going to fix our eyes on Jesus or are we going to click off the sat-nav and just go it on our own? You see, we can't really change what's happened in our lives. Of course, Jesus can bring healing to, uh, to our past and he can speak truths to some of the untruths that have been spoken. But we can only go forward. We can't go back. But it's in these moments that we do have that choice. It's, it's in these moments that we do have a choice to shape our story. What do you want your story to look like? So, as I've said, I want to look at um, a person in the Bible today, and that, that person is Peter. In this particular passage, he does have a choice to make. And I love reading about Peter because he often gets it wrong as many times as he gets it right, and that, in a strange way, comforts me. <laughs> he was a, a disciple. He was a, a close follower of Jesus. He'd seen some incredible miracles and been on some countless adventures with Jesus. He was a, a strong man. He was a outspoken. He was a brash fisherman who had followed Jesus wholeheartedly for his entire ministry. And out of all of the disciples, we actually know most about Peter. He was not only a fisherman, but he was most probably a pretty successful one. We see in, um, in the Gospel accounts of Luke that Jesus actually goes to Peter's house <clears throat> to heal his, his mother-in-law. That seems to suggest that Peter had a house large enough to extend for his extended family. So he was doing pretty well for himself. There's also some evidence to suggest that the boat that um, the disciples were in when Jesus calmed the storm belonged to Peter. So he was successful, he was confident, he was strong, he was go-getting. And although there are many times in the, in the Gospels that we see Peter being hopeful, a hope-filled man, when we encounter him in this particular passage, he's far from that. So let's look at John 21, verse 15 to 17. And just to set the scene a little bit, Jesus and Peter meet on the beach and they're having breakfast. And it's on, on the, the edge of this huge lake called the Sea of Tiberias. Or I think, it's, I think there's a slide. It's actually called the Sea of Galilee now. But you can see Tiberias down there at, at 8 o'clock. And they have this kind of st little strange conversation. So let me read it to you. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, do you know that I love you? Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, on the face of that little encounter, Jesus is quite affirming, isn't he? It feels like Jesus is being quite affirming. But as I've said, we don't encounter Peter here at the top of the curve on that little graph of the, the video clip that we've seen. Peter is more towards the bottom of that curve. And you'll actually notice that Jesus doesn't even call him Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. 
So, you know, why, why is that? After all, um, Jesus gave him the name Peter. In, in Matthew 16, it says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, which is pretty cool, isn't it? But in this passage, Jesus is calling him Simon, son of John. You see, I think what is happening here is Peter is no longer being Peter the Rock. He's gone back to being Simon the Fisherman. He's gone back to his old ways, his old name. He's, he's, effectively, he's effectively got his finger on the off button of the sat-nav, ready to click it off and go his own way. He's broken, he's a regretful man. And at this moment, Peter's story is not looking great. So what went wrong? Well, we need to wind back a few chapters just to kind of get a, a bigger context of what is happening. And if we go back to chapter 13, we see Jesus and the disciples um, during the Passover meal. And they know that something is about to happen. His disciples are sensing something is about to happen. Jesus in chapter 12 has already predicted his death. And he's just finished washing the disciples' feet and he's been talking to them about serving one another. He's picked out Judas as being the one that will betray him and hand him over to the Roman authorities. And in, in Luke's um, gospel, it says um, that the disciples were having a discussion. Well, it actually says a dispute arose amongst them. <laughs> and, they, and it says, it goes on to say, to consider who was the greatest. So in all of this, there's this jostling happening within the disciples. There's this kind of jostling of of, of position taking place. And in verse 33 in chapter 13, Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter responds in verse 37, I love this, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. You see, I really think Peter here is trying to place himself above the other disciples in the room. Notice it's not, it's not why can't we follow you. It's like, I understand why these guys can't follow you, but, but Lord, why can't I follow you? You know, it's, it, he's placing himself above the other disciples. And then this is the crunch verse for Peter. He said, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly. And when Jesus says truly twice, you really know you've overstepped the mark. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. You see, Peter, I really believe, started out that night trying to demonstrate his love for Jesus, his Lord and his Savior, and he ends up being rebuked and humiliated. His well-intentioned bravado led him to say he would lay down his life for Jesus. But Jesus shows him the true reality of what will happen. And of course, in, in chapter 18, we see that whole painful scene played out, don't we? Jesus, uh, Peter does indeed deny Jesus three times. It actually says in Luke's gospel, after it happened, Peter went away and he wept bitterly. So by the time we see Jesus encountering Peter at the lakeside, 
for breakfast. His story is not a good one. His story is definitely not a hopeful story. He's gone back to fishing. He's gone back to his ordinary life. And as I've said, he's got his finger on the off button of the sat-nav, ready to go his own way. And I think we can all resonate with that, can't we? Haven't we all had times in our own lives when that has been the case? We've set off with amazing intentions to follow Jesus, and then for many reasons, it all seems to go wrong. We've lost hope, and we've tried to go it alone. Just my, a little bit about my own story. When I became a Christian, I was 21 or 22, and um, I was working for uh, a company selling hair cosmetics to hairdressers. Sounds very glamorous. <laughs> it wasn't actually that glamorous at all. But um, I actually, after a while, became really difficult for me because I was being asked to not blatantly lie to get the sale, but certainly to bend the truth to get the sale. And uh, I, I, I became really uncomfortable with that. And so I, I tried many, many avenues, and out of sheer desperation one day, I, um, I, I made an appointment to get an interview at the careers office. And I went along to the careers office, and I met this amazing guy, never forget his name, called Mr. Moore. And he, he sat, it was in the days of early computers, okay, so he sat me down at this uh, computer, and, it, and he said, he's going to ask you all these questions, and you type in your answers, and at the end of it, it will give you a printout of the jobs most suited to your personality. I thought, wow, that sounds amazing. So um, the first job that came out was an undertaker. <laughs> that, that, was the <laughs> that, was the <laughs> that was the first job, <laughs> which at the time didn't really resonate with me. Um, not that it resonates with me now, you understand, but it didn't really resonate with me. Second job was an air conditioning engineer. <laughs> now, how those things are related, I've absolutely no idea, but I'm sure there's some air conditioning engineers here this morning who might be able to help us out. Um, but the third thing that came out was a musical instrument maker. Now, that really resonated with me. You know, when I, when I was small, I, I couldn't afford a guitar, and I tried to make a guitar out of a Kellogg's cornflake packet <laughs> when I was really small, and, um, which was a disaster. And then when I was at school, I actually, for my final year's project, ended up making an electric guitar. So I'd, I'd been fascinated by these things. I loved the idea of being a musical instrument maker, but wasn't that just a dream? You kind of grow up and let go of your dreams, don't you, and, and kind of move on. And Mr. Moore said, well, funnily enough, there is this little course that is starting in a college in Newark, 20 miles away, and they have just added guitar making to their curriculum. So it's this new course, why don't you go along? And to cut a long story short, I went along and got on the course, and I was just buzzing. Quit my job, um, obviously Helen was on board, we had two little boys at the time, it was an adventure with the Lord, and we just trusted God to fill in the gaps, to fill in those gaps. We were on a high. We were most probably on that kind of top of the curve on the video when all of this was happening. We were like really in a good place. But you know, a few weeks later, it's amazing how quickly it happens. We were more towards the bottom of that curve. I'd tried to get some jobs, just like stacking shelves or anything, just to get, bring some money in. 
and I didn't get one job. I couldn't get one job. We'd been led to believe that we'd get a, a grant of a few thousand pounds a year in the good old days when grants were available. And um, we got a letter through that said we'd get 100 pounds for the year. And it was like, uh, God, I, I, thought you were, I thought you were with us in this. I thought, you know, this was an adventure we were doing together. Did, did we get it wrong? Did, did something go wrong? It felt like we'd gone from the top of that curve to the bottom of the curve pretty quickly. And we'd gone from being hopeful to hopeless. And I'm sure, you know, we've all got stories like this. We've all got stories where we can, you know, have those difficult times in our lives. And I'm guessing when Jesus met Peter on the beach, he was in this kind of place. All hope had gone for him. He must have felt like he'd really blown it. His story had not followed the right curve on the graph. And it certainly didn't look like he was heading towards a happy ending with Jesus by his side. But thankfully, you know, Jesus had other plans. He comes to him on the lakeside and he says, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my lambs. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Take care of my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Some theologians believe that because Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus restored Peter three times. And some think that Jesus was commissioning Peter to lead the early church. Just as a shepherd looks after his flock, Peter was being commissioned to look after the early church, to nurture it, to tend to it, and to provide for it. But the thing that I really love about this passage, and when you, when you understand the bigger picture, when you understand the context of all of this, it all begins to make sense. What Jesus is clearly doing here, he is resetting and restoring Simon back to being Peter. He is effectively taking his hand off that off switch of the sat-nav. And he's not only given him back his name, but he's given him back his purpose. What an incredible God we follow. Even when we've turned our back on Jesus, Jesus doesn't turn his back on us. And the amazing thing about Peter is that he didn't let his past dictate his future. God used the hopeless parts of Peter's life to restore him back and give him back a story that was hopeful. And I really believe God can do that for us. God can do that for us. If we flip forward into the book of Acts, we see uh, a sig the significant influence that Peter has on the early church. It's incredible. Jesus really did build his church on Peter. And it, it's a great story, isn't it? I love this story because you know, Peter, he's not perfect, but God can cope with that. He's not looking for perfect. He's got a big mouth and his own agenda sometimes. But, you know, God can deal with those things easily. And he made some big mistakes, Peter did. But God still restored him and used him powerfully. We have this saying in the vineyard, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And I really think that Peter more than lives up to that statement here. 
So going back to my story, well, it felt like everything was lost. I felt angry, I felt uh, annoyed, I felt let down. And I made this appointment to go and see the county council to just to try and understand why we'd only got this hundred pounds for the year. It just seemed to make no sense for me. And I clearly remember getting in the car and uh, driving along and click clicking the tape into the tape player. I really miss tapes. I wish we brought back tapes. Clicking the tape into the tape player. And this song came on. The words to this song came straight out of the player. His strength is perfect when our strength has gone. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Raised in his power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is perfect. You know, I just pulled the car over and I just wept because I realized that I'd just not been trusting God. I'd been embracing a hopeless life and not trusting God, that he would see me through. He would give me that hopeful life. It's the choice of a hopeless life or the choice of a hopeful life. You know, I went to that meeting and um, it turns out there'd been an administrative mistake. <laughs> we weren't getting 100 pounds for the year. We actually were getting closer to 5,000 pounds for the year. That was a lot of money back then to us. And that was a, a really big lesson for Helen and I. Just to trust God, not with part of our lives, but to actually trust God with everything. Now thankfully for us, Peter saw past his life of the hopeless bit in his life and he allowed Jesus to reset and restore his journey. In fact, later on in that passage, Jesus uses two words to Peter, follow me. That's all he says at the end of that passage, follow me. And without doubt, we see Peter really living a life after that moment, completely sold out for Jesus. A man full to the brim of hope. And I think it's no surprise if you look at um, Peter's first letter in the Bible. 1 Peter verse 3, he writes, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, there's a man speaking from experience right just there. So for us, it, it, it's quite easy, isn't it, to look back on this story and we can see it all laid out. We can see it all kind of laid out before us, the whole thing, the whole of Peter's life. But the truth is, as I said earlier, our life is not over yet. Our life isn't, isn't finished. For sure, we are going to go through those ups and downs as we head towards the destination to G of Jesus. But what would you prefer to embrace? What would you prefer to embrace? Would you prefer to embrace a life with less hope in it or a life that is full of hope, a life where there's more hope? While ever we have breaths in our bodies, we have a choice to embrace a life that is full of hope. Do you really want to look back on your life and just go, I, I settled, I had an ordinary life, it was a, a life where I was happy to embrace less. Matt Redman wrote in one of his books on worship about 
Bruce Springsteen. I'm a big fan of Bruce Springsteen, and he wrote this. Many music critics note that the skill of the songwriter Bruce Springsteen lies in his ability to take the everyday, the ordinary, and make it sound extraordinary. Sometimes in the church, we find ourselves doing totally the opposite. We take the extraordinary revelation of God and somehow manage to make him sound completely ordinary. There really is nothing ordinary about God. He is extravagant, he is abundant, he doesn't want us to live ordinary lives where hope is less. He really does want us to embrace a, heart, a life where hope is more. You know, why would the God of all creation, who wants to know us intimately, want to give us less? When you think about it, it makes no sense. God is a God of more. God is a, is, is a God of full. When we pray for people, we sometimes use this powerful prayer. More, Lord. And we don't say that because we don't know what to pray, or sometimes I do, but we don't, we don't necessarily say that because we don't know what to pray. We say that because it's true. We say that because God is more. There is more. God is extravagant. He wants to fill us with hope that is beyond what we know. In Matthew 7, verse 79, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. No matter where you are in your story, whether you're at the top of the curve or at the bottom of the curve, God is there with you. God is right there with you. I read somewhere that we only use 10% of our brain's capacity. I'm sure for me it's a little less, but... 10% of our brain's capacity, and it's, it's amazing what we've done with that 10%, isn't it? But sometimes as a church, I think God is saying, you're just scratching the surface. There's so much more that I want to give you. There's so much more that I could do through you. I think Peter glimpsed on that day on the beach something that was life-changing. His whole perspective, I really believe, was kind of turned upside down. He was no longer living a contained life within his own little world. You know, if you think about it, he could have easily settled. He was a successful businessman, had a nice house, he was a good fisherman, but he glimpsed a bigger picture, didn't he? Peter glimpsed a bigger picture and reached for more. When Jesus restored him, I really believe that Jesus didn't just open his eyes, but he, he opened his whole being. Peter saw that he could do, imagined, I can't say that word, he imagined he could do more. <laughs> with, got around it. He imagined he could do more with Jesus than he ever believed. For some of us, I really think we can achieve off-the-scale hopefulness, just like Cinderella achieved off-the-scale happiness. And now, I am aware that I've been using this little analogy of a sat-nav this morning to kind of guide us through this story, but it dawned on me that this is the most powerful sat-nav in the world. This is the most powerful sat-nav in the world. This really does leave to a fuller life and a more hopeful life. 
So I'm coming into land now. That's what they say, isn't it? I'm coming into land. So what do you want your story to look like right now? What do you want it to be? We do have a choice, you know. No matter what our situations are, no matter what our situations look like, we do have a choice. God wants us to reach for more. God, I really believe, wants us to have lives that are full. And our God is a God that is overflowing with hope.